Father, once again this morning, we approach the throne of grace with boldness and confidence through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, our perfect Savior. Father, we pray that you would pour out the Spirit now on us as we contemplate the incredible miracle of the incarnation. We pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Have you ever had the experience of walking around an auto parts store or sitting down at a restaurant and hearing a song and wondering, is that the Doobie Brothers or the Allman Brothers? I don't know. Now, up until about 10 years ago, you had no way of knowing who that was, which was so frustrating. But now, when you have that question, you can pull out your phone and press a magic button, and within seconds, literally seconds, it tells you who the band is, when the song was written, and how, of course, you can buy the song. Now, this technology may seem ordinary to you, but it's actually rather astonishing. Think of the billions and billions of options of songs out there, the different melodies and rhythms and vocal combinations, jazz, hard rock, metal, reggae, punk, classical music. Somehow, your phone within seconds knows the exact song, just like that. Now, I can tell that not many of you are amazed by this technology. (laughs) Now, 30 years ago, if I would have told you I can do that with my phone, you would accuse me of voodoo or black magic or something else because you wouldn't have believed me. But this technology has become so familiar to us that many of us are no longer amazed by Shazam or Siri, whatever app you use to listen to music. But it really is rather astonishing. Just like that, your phone knows the song it's playing. Somehow it's able to pick up those sound waves from the air and decipher what they mean. But again, many of you are not that amazed. I can tell by the looks on your faces. That's because you've become so familiar with this technology. In a similar sense, what happens at Christmas is utterly amazing. The Word of God became flesh. But you and I are so familiar with that that it no longer amazes us. We hear about baby Jesus, and then many of you are thinking, I wonder if we have enough mashed potatoes for tonight. Because you're not that amazed. Well, this morning, I want all of us to be re-amazed by the incarnation as we think about one of my favorite Christmas texts, and that is Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. And this text describes for us some utterly amazing realities. And I hope that you and I continue to be amazed Uh, as we think about these incredible words of Galatians 4. And as we think about these words, I want to examine the incarnation under two headings. Uh, That is the motive for the incarnation and the results of the incarnation. That word incarnation, it's a big word. It literally means the enfleshing. It's describing the fact that God became flesh um, at Christmas time. So let's consider those two aspects of the incarnation this morning. First are the motives of the incarnation. And these motives are amazing. So what motivated the incarnation? And the first answer is a loving father. Look with me at Galatians 4.4. The apostle Paul writes these words, but when the fullness of time had come, God, that is God the Father, sent forth his son. Now this last phrase explains that God the Father 
sent forth his son. He sent his son to take on flesh to redeem all of us. Now, it's easy to think that God the Father is that member of the Trinity who was always angry and frowning. He forgives us because he has to because his son died for us. After all, the wrath of God is mentioned 550 times in the Bible. It's easy for us to forget that God the Father is a God of love. He's the one who thought of the idea of Christmas. He's the one who sent his only son. But surely, God doesn't want us to have any fun, enjoy a glass of wine, watch a ball game, go fishing, get that new pair of Jordans for Christmas, or laugh. But this text reminds us that God the Father is filled with extravagant love, so much so that he sent his only son to earth to become a baby, to grow up and suffer and die on the cross in our place, which reminds all of us this morning that God the Father loves us. Maybe you're thinking, but Dave, if God the Father really knew all the things that I've done, all my thoughts, my secret lusts and desires, my evil motives and deeds, surely he wouldn't love me, would he? Christmas reminds us that God the Father loved you and I so much, he sent his only son to suffer and die in our place. So what motivated the incarnation? And the first answer is the Father's love, or a loving Father. What else motivated the incarnation? And the answer is a loving son. So a loving father and a loving son. Look with me again at Galatians 4, verse 4. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son born of a woman. Now that last phrase is utterly astonishing and amazing. Jesus Christ was born of a woman. Are you kidding me? Why is that so amazing? Because of who Jesus Christ is. Who is he? Jesus Christ, according to the Bible, is the creator and sustainer of all things, which may not amaze you because we often forget about what all things encapsulates. So what is or what are all things? It's now estimated that there are 200 billion to 2 trillion galaxies in the known universe. 200 billion low end, 2 trillion high end galaxies in the known universe. But what do these numbers mean? A million, a billion, a trillion. We hear those words so much that they've lost their meaning. What exactly is a billion or a trillion? Well, these are massive numbers. How massive? If you stack one million pennies, the stack would be one mile high, four times as high as the Empire State Building. That's pretty tall. But if you stack one billion pennies, the stack would be 870 miles tall. That is 158 times taller than Mount Everest. But if you stack one trillion pennies, the stack would be 870,000 miles high. And right now our nation is, what, $23 trillion in debt? This is Christmas, positive things. What about time? One million seconds is roughly 11 and a half days. One billion seconds is roughly 32 years. But one trillion seconds is 32,000 years. A trillion is a very large 
number. And again, Jesus spoke, and 200 billion to 2 trillion galaxies leapt into existence out of nothing. Out of nothing. Well, how many stars are there? We're talking about galaxies. How many stars are there? The average galaxy has over 100 billion stars in it. If there are 2 trillion galaxies, then there are 200 billion trillion stars in the universe. This is an absolutely mind-boggling number. Jesus spoke, and all those stars came into existence out of nothing. Creation ex nihilo is the Latin phrase, which means that Jesus is unimaginably powerful, wise, and infinitely glorious, which is why J.D. Greer says, when it comes to Jesus, it's impossible to exaggerate. So true. Here's the mind-boggling reality of Christmas. The one who spoke 200 billion trillion stars into existence out of nothing became a teeny, tiny, helpless, and dependent baby in the womb of an impoverished, nervous, and scandalized teenage mother. Wow. Wow. At this point, it's really hard to illustrate Christ's humility. Because what do we compare it to? Is it like humans becoming ants? Is it like humans becoming fleas? Is it like humans becoming single-celled organisms? No. Those analogies all break down because the distance between me and a single-celled organism is actually measurable. It's a finite distance, which is very humbling. But the distance between us and God is infinite. And that is because Jesus Christ is the creator and sustainer of all things. The incarnation was the greatest act of humility in the history of the cosmos, which raises the question, why in the world did Christ step down so low? Why in the world did he abase himself so much? Why in the world did the creator of all things become a helpless baby that had to have someone else change his diapers and feed him? Why? Why? And the answer is extravagant love. That's why. That's why. What motivated Christmas, the incarnation, was a loving father and a loving son. And the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, by the way, love you so much they devise this incredible plan of humility and this incredible display of love. And that's because Christ wanted to forgive your sins and be in relationship with you for all eternity. Love was the motive of the incarnation. So first, the motives of the incarnation and second, the results of the incarnation. What did all this achieve for us? Well, there are several results. Let's look at just a few this morning. What was one result of the incarnation? And the answer is a righteous Savior. Look with me again at Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth a son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now here we read that Christ was born of a woman. Now, the virgin conception or the virgin birth of Christ enabled Christ, amazingly, to be two distinct natures in one person. This virgin conception, the virgin birth, enabled Christ to be fully God and fully human, two distinct natures in one person. Now, why does that matter? 
Why did Christ have to be fully human to save us? Because it was humans, you and I, who broke God's law. So someone had to come, a human had to come, and live a perfectly righteous life in our place, under the law, obeying all of God's laws, perfectly on our behalf. Now God has given us many, many laws to obey. And those laws are summarized, as many of you know, in what's called the Great Commandment. The Great Commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and the second is like it, to love our neighbor as ourself. Now, I don't care how righteous you are this morning, none of us can obey those two commandments perfectly for more than 1.3 seconds. All of us are lawbreakers. We're full of pride and greed and anxiety and lust. We grumble, we complain, we're self-righteous even the best of us. All of us are lawbreakers, which means we are all in deep trouble because God is perfect and God requires us to be perfect, to be in relationship with him both now and for all eternity, which means that we are in deep, deep trouble. All of us, all of us. We need a righteous savior. So along comes Jesus, born of a woman, and he lived a perfect life. His whole life, he always obeyed all of God's laws perfectly. He lived under the law, according to Galatians 4, 5, which means that he fully submitted himself to God's laws every second of his life, which means that all those who put their hope and confidence in Jesus Christ have the glorious prospect of being declared righteous, even though we are sinners because of Christ's perfection, his righteousness. God sees us as righteous even though we are not. And again, God requires perfection from us. But Dave, I'm really a pretty good person. Are you perfect? Dave, I'm better than the guy next to me. Maybe you are. But the standard is Christ himself. God demands righteousness from all of us, and we cannot provide it. But Christ was born of a woman, born under the law, to ensure that all those who trust in Jesus will will be declared perfectly righteous even though they are not. What does that mean for us? Well, this week, I'm sure many of you, like me, have sinned in a variety of ways. Again, we've been selfish, proud, self-righteous. We've used unkind speech. We've been ungrateful. As a result, we deserve to die. But if we're Christians, if we're trusting in Jesus Christ alone to save us, right now, even though we are unrighteous, God Almighty sees us as righteous because Jesus Christ was born of a woman, born under the law. And furthermore, Jesus Christ submitted to the law's demands on our behalf. Because we break God's law, we deserve to die on something like a cross, And Jesus Christ suffered and died on the cross in our place so that all of our sins could be forgiven and God could declare us perfectly righteous. And that's the best news of Christmas. So what is the result of the incarnation? Well, one result is simply this, a righteous savior. What's another result of the incarnation? And the answer is a redeeming savior. So a righteous savior and now a redeeming Savior. Look with me again at Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. When the fullness of time had come, 
God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Now, in the ancient world, to redeem someone meant to free them from slavery by the payment of a ransom price. So if you were a slave in the first century, your only hope of freedom would be if someone came along and freed you or redeemed you by paying a ransom price for you. Now, before conversion, all of us were enslaved to something, whether it was the demands of the law, um, Satan, the fear of death. The Bible says that we had a lot, a lot of different slave masters before conversion. But along comes Jesus, suffers and dies for us, and he literally pays for our freedom, not with money, but with his own precious blood. Therefore, every Christian here this morning is no longer enslaved to anything. We've been freed because of Christmas. We are freed from legalistic bondage. We are freed from the enslaving power of sin, and we are freed from demonic oppression. Listen to this story from a weight loss blog. This lady writes, for several years now, I've been struggling with weight loss. I have had eating disorders like crazy for a while now. The only reason I stopped was because I developed a health problem. Since I recovered, it's hard to lose weight the healthy way. I find myself wanting to starve myself or wanting to drink nothing but chicken broth like I used to. I have gained 10 pounds in the last year, and I hate it. It's killing me. My boyfriend knows about my past and keeps an eye on my eating habits. It's so tempting to get back to my old habits. It's like a drug almost. I'm addicted to losing weight. This poor lady is enslaved. She's crafted an idol out of the perfect image. And because she's enslaved, she will never have any victory over this particular issue. Which raises the question, what are you enslaved to this morning? Fear of man, which is also called people-pleasing. Anxiety, sports, making more money, pornography, some other lust, career success, a substance, drugs, alcohol, or something else. You want to change in the worst way, but you can't. You feel trapped. You feel enslaved. You feel stuck. What do you do? You think about Christmas. Jesus Christ came. He was born of a virgin. He lived, he died, and he rose again to redeem all of us from slavery. That's how much he loves us. If you need freedom from bondage this morning, look to Christ. All the answers are found there. What were the results of the incarnation? A righteous Savior, a redeeming Savior, plus we have a related Savior. Galatians 4, 4 and 5 again. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born of the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Now this, I think, is the most incredible benefit of Christmas. Because of Christmas, Jesus Christ becomes our brother and God becomes our father. We are adopted into God's family. In the ancient Near East, when a, a wealthy couple did not have a male son, they would go out and find a hardworking, industrious, 
righteous person to become their heir. They would adopt him. And when they died, all that they had would pass on to this adopted son. Now, you and I, before conversion, were not (laughs) appealing to God. We were not righteous or hardworking or industrious. We were enslaved to sin. But in that state, God saw us, took pity on us, and he thought, I'm not only going to forgive them and free them from slavery, I'm also going to make them my sons and my daughters. Actually, you're all sons. But it's okay, ladies, because husbands are called the bride of Christ. So it works both ways. Why does that matter? Because in the ancient Near East, only sons inherited everything, not daughters. We are all sons of God, which means all of us, male and female, someday, will inherit everything that Christ earned. Why? Because he's our brother, and God is our father. Now, I love the doctrine of justification, which means we can be declared legally righteous. And I love the fact that I can be freed from the tyranny of slavery. And I love the fact that I can be forgiven. But by far, the greatest benefit or blessing of Christmas is the fact that you and I can be adopted by God Almighty, which is so much better because that means that God actually wants to relate to us. He wants relationship with us. He wants to be our Father. And as our Father, he promises to provide for us, to discipline us when we stray. He asks us to come and ask him for things in prayer. He promises to work all things for our good and his glory. Christ becomes our brother. Well, how do you and I know that we've actually been adopted by God? How do we know that's the case? Well, the Holy Spirit testifies in our hearts. Look with me again at Galatians 4, verses 5 and 7. To redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. A term of of endearment. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. By the way, that word Abba does not mean daddy. Okay? That was scholarship from 30 or 40 years ago that's been debunked multiple times. Does not mean daddy. It's much better than daddy. That word Abba, is, it's, a, it's a close, respectful term of endearment. And what, what Paul's saying here is that if you're a son of God, the Spirit of God testifies with your spirit that you are, in fact, a child of God. And Romans 8 says the same thing to us. Romans 8, 15 to 16 Paul says this, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And both texts, that word cry is an intense word and it's laden with passion and emotion. When the spirit testifies with our spirits, that we are in fact adopted sons of God, it can be an intense emotional experience. Now when I was in college, I worked at Manitou Golf and Country Club on the maintenance crew. I was one of the blue collar workers, not in the clubhouse, out in the back doing the blue collar stuff. And part of my job was driving around in a, a very large, very expensive lawnmower. I think they cost back then about 40 or 50 grand. They were very expensive lawnmowers. So the key was, I had to stay awake and not crash the lawnmower. 
It was a warm July afternoon. I was exhausted. It had been a long night the night before. I'd been working all day, driving this mower, bored to tears, and I thought, I need to stay awake. So I'm going to start singing. Don't have a great voice, but I thought, I got to stay awake. So I began to sing hymns of praise to God. And as I was singing, and Mighty Fortress is our God, something overwhelmed me. In that moment, I was made intimately aware of God the Father's love for me. And I was so overwhelmed that I began to weep uncontrollably as I'm driving this lawnmower down the fairway, thinking, I hope no one's watching me right now. Now, why was I weeping uncontrollably? Because in that moment, I had an intense, emotional, spirit-inspired experience where God was reminding me that I, in fact, was his son and that he loved me. Now, it doesn't always happen like that. That was a rare experience for me. But if you're a Christian, there should be some sense, either when you're singing God's praises or reading the scriptures or engaging in fellowship, where the Spirit of God reminds you that you're his child, that he's adopted you, that he loves you, that he's going to work all things for your good and his glory. And again, I think that adoption is the most astonishing and amazing aspect of Christmas. God the Father Almighty wants to actually be our dad. Well, the motives of the incarnation and the results of the incarnation are simply stunning. They're stunning. Have you ever wondered how Wi-Fi works? Wi-Fi boggles my mind. I can be sitting at my chair in my bedroom with my wife sitting next to me in her chair, I'll say, Heidi, I'm, I'm about to email you or text you a document or a video or some link, and I press send, and somehow that document or that video leaves my computer and floats through the air invisibly, and it hits my router and then goes who knows where, comes back to my router, floats through the air, and somehow, amazingly, miraculously, supernaturally, it lands in Heidi's inbox. Now again, if I would have told you 50 years ago that I could do that, you would have accused me of wizardry or voodoo or witchcraft. But we're so familiar with Wi-Fi technology that none of us, I can tell right now, are astonished or amazed. But that's amazing technology. But again, because we're familiar with it, we cease to be amazed. This holiday season, I hope and pray that none of us lose the awe or the wonder or the astonishment of the incarnation. Because of the incarnation, we have a righteous Savior, we have a redeeming Savior, and we have a related Savior. And that, my friends, is amazing. Let's pray. Father, how can we ever begin to say thank you for devising this incredible rescue plan in eternity past before the creation of all things? Father, we thank you that because of Christmas, we can be declared righteous, we can be redeemed, 
and we can be adopted by God. Father, we pray that as we think about the incarnation, we would be lost this week in love, wonder, and praise. Help us to be more excited about your gift of Jesus than any gift we could possibly receive under the tree tonight or tomorrow. Lord, I pray if there's any here this morning that don't know you, that they would make a decision even now to turn away from their sins and put all their hope and trust and confidence in Jesus Christ. And we pray all these things in his mighty name. Amen.